friends, welcome to Log On at 11, Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence whilst we're currently in this COVID season. Uh, we're going to follow what has become our normal pattern for one of these things. We'll follow a little liturgy just to hold our worship together. If you've got a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I say on my own. If you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust, and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Hello. What's your name? That's one of the first things, isn't it, when we meet strangers. Uh, we want to know who they are. Uh, and often uh, we want to know a little bit more than that. I In the days when... We used to meet face to face. <laughs> I used to go to uh, conferences and it was uh, really interesting to sit with, with, with other ministers and uh, a variety of people and uh, introduce yourselves, the person leading would say. Uh, so the first thing you would say would be your name and then, you know, just say a little bit about yourself. And interestingly, Mostly men go on to speak about what they do for work rather than who they are. Uh, and even with ministers, ministers do this in a slightly different way. Uh, years and years ago, when I was newly accredited as a minister, I were, my first church was a little church on the edge of the Cambridgeshire Fens. And I went to the first minister's meeting. And uh, of course, I'm a stranger. And someone, when I walked in, someone crossed the room, shook my hand, hello. Uh, and and who are you? Uh, I'm Kevin White, uh, right, and, and where are you? Uh, and I'm the minister of Baptist Church. And uh, it was a small church. 
And the person who had spoken to me, his demeanour changed slightly. Ah, little church. Ah, there's the minister of uh, St Andrew's Baptist Church in Cambridge. Uh, I'll introduce you. Uh, St Andrew's at that time was uh, quite a big uh, city centre church, very thriving. Uh, and uh, I, of course, I was duly impressed that this minister knew the minister of the big church in the city. <laughs> And of course, he was doing me a favour, introducing me from the small church to the big church minister. It's very odd, isn't it? But we do like to know about one another. And the first thing is, uh, what is your name? Uh, and I've been saying to everyone in church over this last couple of weeks, and, and indeed we're, for the next few weeks as well, we're thinking about the way that God reveals himself uh, in terms of giving his name to Moses. Uh, and he, it's an interesting thing that God does, because when when God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, which is the bit of scripture we looked at, or we will be looking at today, um, Moses says to God, what's your name? What is your name? Uh, well, I'm I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm the God of your fathers. Ah, Dad's God. That's not enough. What, what are you like? That's really what Moses is saying to God. And God says, I am who I am. Uh, and in the sermon, I'll, I'll be unpacking that a little bit more. But when you get to... Uh, Exodus 34, where God fully reveals who he is. I mean, there are some fascinating things that he says about himself. Uh, <clears throat> so God, Moses has said to God, I want to know you properly. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you're like. And God says, right, OK, well, we'll, we'll meet on top of a mountain and no one else is allowed to be there, just you and me. Uh, and I will tell you who I am. Um, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So that's God's self-revelation of himself for the first time fully uh, to Moses. What is interesting is, you know, building on I am who I am. What God is saying is, I am always like this. Whatever I am like, I am always like this. So slow to anger. He's always slow to anger. Uh, compassionate and gracious God. He's always that. Uh, it, it is maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He's always that. Uh, not leaving the guilty unpunished. This is a tricky bit, but we're going to come to that later. Uh, much later in our series It's the last thing we'll look at. Uh, but it, it's interesting, isn't it? What are you like? I wonder if your name says anything about you. 
I always wonder about parents that name their children after virtues. So if you call your child patience, <laughs> I wonder if they are. Um, tricky business. I wonder what what is your name? Does it say anything about you? Take care. Hello. The reading this morning is, comes from the book of Exodus, and chapter 3, and verses 1 to 15. Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Amen. Uh, second in our series, uh, God Has a Name, and today's reading was the encounter between God and Moses, uh, the burning bush incident uh, in the desert. Um, we remember, don't we, from what we were saying last week, that names in the Bible very often are more than just labels. They actually communicate the essence of the person being described or named. Um, this passage, the passage we read earlier, is Moses' call to ministry. God has seen the injustice that Pharaoh has been piling onto his people, and now he's ready to do something about that. And Moses is going to be his chosen instrument of deliverance. Uh, Moses 
you may be surprised to learn he's not thrilled about this and he's looking for ways maybe to not do it. Um, but one of the things he does is he he asks God what his name is. He wants to know more about this God. And he says in verse 13, uh, what is your name? The Hebrew for that is Mar Shemo. Normally you would ask my Shimkar, who is your name? But Moses says Mar Shemo, what is the meaning of your name? What makes you, you, God? And God responds, a year, a sure, a year. I am who I am. Now, Hebrew's quite slippery. Uh, you need context very often to be able to work out what is being said. Um, we could also have translated a year, a sure, a year. I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. So effectively, what God is saying is, whatever I am, I will always be this. I have always been this, and I always will be. Um, so whatever God is like, he will always be like that. So remembering what we touched last week, if God is compassionate, he is compassionate all the time. If God is gracious, he is gracious all the time. If God is slow to anger, he is slow to anger all the time. Uh, the Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels uh, in Old Testament Hebrew, just consonants. Uh, Yahweh means he is. So when God says his name, it's a year, I am. When we say it, Yahweh, he is. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, you find the Ten Commandments and uh, you know lots of other stuff as well. Uh, <clears throat> one of the commandments forbids the misuse of God's name. Uh, so many Jews, in order to not mistakenly misuse God's name, stop saying it altogether. And instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Hashem which means the name, or they would say Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord. So the Hebrew word Yahweh, you know, when it's found in the Old Testament Hebrew, very often gets translated now into English as Lord. Uh, and of course, Lord is a title. It's not a name. I think that says something about human beings. I think we have difficulty with intimacy with God. <clears throat> Jesus makes it very clear, doesn't he, that God desires intimacy. When his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray, he responds by saying, when you pray, say, Father. Now, that that is quite a shocking thing to say, isn't it? We've moved from, be very careful about misusing the name of God, Yahweh, um, and in order not to do that, well, we won't even say it. We'll use Hashem or Adonai, uh, not Yahweh. Um, we've moved from there to call God Father. There's this like disconnect, isn't there? There, there's, there's a sort of shocking change of gear, and it is uh, a huge change of gear, uh, and. When you think about prayer, that's interesting, I think. Uh, and I, 
when I was young, you know, we were taught, you know, hands together, eyes closed. Uh, the posture very often is to be on your knees, isn't it? That's that's the classic, you know, if we're going to pray, we're going to get down on our, knee, on our knees, hands together, eyes closed. And it's, the posture is uh, is like some beggar coming uh, to a very powerful person and we're pleading and begging. And that's not the picture of prayer that God is after, I don't think. And it's certainly not the picture of prayer that Jesus paints for his disciples. When you pray, say, Father, it's very different. There's an intimacy there that God is looking for, um, which clearly makes us very uncomfortable. The word Lord, <coughs> excuse me, the word Lord is still very important. Uh, one of the earliest creedal confessions in the church was Jesus is Lord. Now, that was demanded of Christians um, when the church was founded, when it was all starting. Uh, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord. So to say Jesus is Lord was a treasonous statement. Uh, and the biblical witness actually is very clear. Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus is God. His self-understanding is entirely uh, that he is God. Uh, and you can see that in lots of places uh, in the New Testament and in, in the Gospels, you know, the stories that are written, the biographies of his life. You can see that growing, um, that understanding of himself. Christians coming from a Jewish background would have absolutely understood uh, what Jesus was saying about himself. And in fact, this is what got him into deep, deep trouble um, with the religious leaders and authorities of his day. There was a, a conversation in, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, um, verse 58 is, is the verse, where, you know, the, the Jewish leaders and Jesus are in dialogue and it's, it's quite a spiky dialogue. And, and the, the Jewish leaders are saying, Abraham is our father. And Jesus' response is, before Abraham was born, I am. He's claiming the name of God uh, that God was giving to Moses in order to help Moses understand who he was to get him ready to go to Pharaoh and, and get his people released and moved away from Egypt. If you look at John's Gospel, chapter 17, um, that's a beautiful prayer. It's Jesus praying to the Father. Uh, and it's all about making God known to people. I have made your name known, Jesus says. Uh, and he's thankful to God for the ones he's got now and for the many more who are going to come later. That's you and I. Um, making God known to people. If, if you read John 17, you, you will enter into that beautiful, intimate space between Jesus and Father and listen carefully and look carefully and you will see uh, that what Jesus was and is all about is making God known. And he does that, we Christians believe, so beautifully because he is God incarnate. So what does God being a person mean for us? Well, God is a person, a, a relational being, and he wants to relate to us. Uh, God wants to know 
and to be known. Exodus 33 verse 11 says that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's absolutely staggering, isn't it? This notion of intimacy, again, between God and human beings. Uh, this knowing and being known. That should stop us from having a, a formulaic approach to God, but, but sadly it doesn't. <laughs> um, we do seem to be afraid of intimacy with God and we look for ways to keep him at arm's length. Now in Exodus there are, there are numerous conversations recorded between God and Moses and one of the hallmarks of these conversations is that they are really quite personal. Uh, there's a, a really staggering conversation in Exodus chapter 32 now, the, Exodus 32 is um, the golden calf episode. The people are waiting. Moses has gone up to the top of a mountain and is in conversation with God and is going to return with the tablets of stone, with the commandments on and the covenant and, and so forth and so on. But it's taken a long time and the people are fractious and they're bored and they they decide to make an idol. They they make a calf uh, image out of all the gold they can find. They gather all the gold that's among them. They melt it all down. They make a golden calf and they bow down and they worship that. I mean, God, the real God, has delivered them out of Egypt. He's taken them out of Pharaoh's hand where they were being very hard used. Um, they were being used as slave labour. God has delivered them from that. God has taken them away from that. He has defeated the Egyptian army. Uh, the Red Sea has just fallen in on them. The people walked through uh, and there was no issue for them. They walked through on dry ground. Once they were through and Pharaoh's army started to pursue, God just took away his protection and the Red Sea crashed in and destroyed Pharaoh's army. So he's, he saved them from that. Uh, he's fed them manna in the wilderness and found water for them. He's done all sorts of things for them uh, and now he's ready to develop the relationship and do more with them and for them and among them. And they're saying, well, we'd rather have something else. Thank you very much. We'd rather have an idol, which we have made as our God. Understandably, God is very angry. And he decides, well, that's the end of that. I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to start again. Uh, and Moses talks God out of this. That's what happens. Um, Moses said to God, look, you promised to bring these people out of slavery. You promised to bring them through the desert. Um, if you don't do what you said you were going to do, then all the nations around are going to say bad things about you. Your name is at stake here. And as a result of that conversation, God relents. The Hebrew word for that is naham. God changes his mind. It also has that, um, that very powerful sense of repentance about it um, and could be translated in that way. Now, we've got to be careful saying that about God because when we talk about repentance for us it's about turning away 
from selfishness and um, bad things. Um, that's not what we're talking about with God, because that's not part of what God is. But we are talking about God relenting, and we are talking about God changing his mind. Um, th this word naham, it holds the idea of regret or remorse over a decision that we may have made. And clearly in this conversation, God is moved emotionally and regrets his decision to judge Israel so harshly and changes his approach. There is a, a fluidity in the relationship between God and Moses. There's very definitely give and take. There is room for manoeuvre. Now, although there isn't a formula, we've, we've said we want, as human beings, we want to make, we want to reduce the relationship with God down to some sort of formula. Um, and it's not like that. There is actually a pattern that can be quite clearly discerned uh, in the Bible and certainly um, in God's dealings with his people in the Old Testament. There is a pattern which God expresses to Moses and to us also. Um, Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 7 to 10, which is a lovely little picture of the potter's house. And God says, if you will do this, then I will do that. Um, the, the best example of that, I think, is, is the story of Jonah. I love that story. It makes me laugh. I think there's lots of comedic elements in that story. But what is really fascinating about it is you get a, a beautiful example of God's naham, God's relenting. Remember, he sends Jonah to Nineveh, which is the wickedest place on earth, to pronounce judgment. And it takes three days to walk from the suburbs to the centre of the city. And, and Jonah proclaims this message in a few more days and you're all going to die. God is going to visit you and it's going to be judgment. And that's the end of all things for you. Uh, and as he's moving through the city, making his proclamation, the king hears about what he's saying and he calls the people together for a day of repentance and mourning. He dresses in sackcloth and sits in the dirt, ashes piled on his head and says, we're really sorry. We're all really, really sorry. And God hears that and he naharms, he relents. He doesn't bring judgment on the city. Uh, and you know Jonah's not happy with that. <laughs> beautiful little story. It won't take you long to read. I encourage you to read it for yourself. But it's a beautiful example of God relenting, God naharming, if you like. So God is responsive to people. God is responsive to the prayers of people. And we are responsive, aren't we, to God. This should have a massive impact, actually, on the way that we pray. I want, I want to read something directly from Comer's book because I just find this so lovely and so helpful. Um, think of how this could rewire how you pray. A lot of people feel guilty because they don't enjoy prayer. Some people dread it. Others just push through it because they know it's the right thing to do. Most of us avoid it. That's because most of us don't actually pray. Prayer is what Moses did with God in the tent, what Jesus did with the Father in Gethsemane. It's brutally honest, naked, 
and vulnerable. It's when your deepest desires and fears and hopes and dreams leak out of your mouth with no inhibition. It's when you talk to God with the edit button in the off position and you feel safe and heard and loved. It's the kind of relational exchange you can't get enough of. And our prayers make a difference. Most of us don't actually believe that prayer changes reality, but it does. Prayer can move the hand of God. Prayer can get God to change his mind. Think about the gravity of that. Prayer is when your life tra trajectory is going in the wrong direction. So you dialogue with God and he responds and your life goes another way. This thing was going to happen, but now it's not. This other thing was not going to happen, but now it is. Just because I had a conversation with God. As the writer James puts it, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now there's a lot of mystery here, plenty of unanswered questions. How exactly does God's will interact with our will? The classic sovereignty versus free will debate. Honestly, I don't know. But I'm sure of this. Prayer is not just going through the motions. It does something. Our prayers have the potential to alter the course of history. And God's action in history is, in some strange way, contingent on our prayers. That's amazing, isn't it? If it's true. I think it is true. Um, very often at the beginning of the intercessions, I will say to God, thank you for the great privilege and responsibility of prayer. And I believe that to be true. But just reflecting on what we were saying, God is responsive to our prayers. That's remarkable. I wonder, what will you speak to God about today? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege and responsibility of intercessory prayer. We come uh, sometimes wondering whether our prayers make any difference at all. And yet, given all that we've been thinking about in the sermon earlier, we do trust that as we speak to you and bring our heart's desire to you in terms of peace for the world, care for those uh, who need it, succour for the needy, we, we do believe you hear and somehow you answer our prayers. Help us to be alert to things that you might be saying to us, things that you might be encouraging us to think, say, do, that might make a difference. Uh, and indeed, that we might be the answer to our prayers. We continue to pray for wisdom for our government and regional leaders uh, all across the country as we continue to battle the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. We are hopeful, Lord, we continue to be hopeful that our country will open up uh, after the 21st of this month. We're very hopeful about that. We're also very aware that there's a lot of work to do around the world and it may be that our government can play a leading role in that. We pray for those 
uh, with responsibility for leadership in our country, for uh, government, for members of parliament. We pray for an open conversation and we ask that those who lead might be alive and alert to the possibilities that are before them. We continue to pray for peace in the Middle East, um, Palestine, Israel, all of that area. We're hopeful, Father, that things may change and that uh, new possibilities might open up. We pray for the potential new government uh, in Israel um, in the next few days. And again, you know, we just pray for wisdom and for an, a fresh approach to all the difficulties that exist in that place. We continue to pray for all those who live in the shadow of Mount Nirugongo in the Democratic Republic of Congo, those who've lost uh, homes and family members and livelihoods due to uh, the eruption of that volcano. We're thankful, Father, for Alpha Online happening um, in our church and pray for all those that are taking part. Ask that they might take a step closer to you as a result of what they're learning and talking about um, in these sessions. We also are grateful, Father, for Lighthouse Holiday Club, which will happen uh, in early August. Thank you for all those who've signed up to help with these things. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, many children will come uh, and that those who attend, both uh, children and adults who are helping, will have a really wonderful week and they'll learn a little bit more about you and be confident in their faith. We pray for our friends. For the family of Roy Parry following his death earlier this week, for Katrina, for Chris, Ken, Eric, Graham, Adrian and Hugh, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Dennis and Shirley, Richard, Thelma, Naomi, Peter and Sharon and Mary. Father God, please be all that our friends need in these days, we pray. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Mm-hmm.